1: i'm the i'm the one i'm patrick host of item and today i'm sitting down with roger stone some people call him a dirty trickster some call him a marketing genius but all i can tell you is brace yourself because you're about to learn a ton from a guy who had a lot of involvements his hands were involved in a lot of different things he did in politics working with richard nixon Bush, Reagan, and now Trump, and he doesn't hold back in this interview. So if you like politics, if you enjoy the understanding and the games behind politics, you're going to love this interview with Roger Stone. Thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Patrick, I'm
0: really honored to be here. Uh, and you know, and after 16 months of being unconstitutionally gagged by a federal judge, let's just say I have a lot to say.
1: So I really welcome the opportunity. Glad to hear that. So. Roger, a question for you before we get into all these different uh, topics that we can get into. Obviously, there's a lot of different issues going on today. I want to hear your thoughts about where you're at. But there's one thing you say uh, where you say there's four stages of fame, which is, who who is Roger Stone? Get me Roger Stone. Get me a Roger Stone type. And then, who is Roger Stone? So one, what does that mean? And two, who is Roger Stone?
0: Well, that is a, that's the cycle of a career, whether you're in broadcasting or sports or entertainment or business. When you begin, of course, you're not well-known. When you accomplish things, you are well-known and people want your talents. Uh, after you're no longer in the game, people want somebody just like you. And then over time, people forget entirely who you were and whether you left up Mark on this world. My goal was to leave a mark on this world. I have spent four decades fighting for the things that I believe in. uh, And that is uh, constitutional liberty, the U.S. Constitution, maximum personal freedom, small government, uh, a strong national defense uh, and the United States of America. Uh, And you take a lot of slings and arrows. People have to remember that when someone wins an election, that means someone loses an election. And the person who loses the election is never happy about it. Sometimes they are even vindictive. So, um, you know, I, I have no apologies to make. I've spent four decades in the rough and tumble of American politics. Uh, and I called them as I saw them. Uh, and although I am a Republican, uh, I really believe that the Republican Democrat divide is a Hegelian device that's just used to divide us. The real divide in America is between the insiders who have run things for 30 years uh, and an outsider. In this case, Donald Trump, someone who comes to Washington and completely threatens to upset the status quo, who who halts the country's uh, uh, brunting over the cliff to globalism, which is why the two party duopoly, the political establishment in Washington, has been so anxious to get rid of this man because he threatens their cozy little relationships. He threatens the way they have lined their pockets at the at the cost of the American people. So, um, you know, I have nothing to apologize for. Uh, politics ain't beanbag, as they say. And I've given as well as I've gotten, uh, but there's one thing I do object to. I keep reading in every article about me uh, over the last year, self described dirty trickster Roger Stone or self-proclaimed dirty trickster Roger Stone, or as CNN said the other day, Roger Stone who has proclaimed himself the dirty trickster of American politics. Patrick, I have never proclaimed myself that or called myself that. I have pointed out that others have called me that. I've said that I'm consigned to the fact that it'll be in my obit, probably on my gravestone, but uh, I have not engaged in any activity uh, that isn't the same as the activities of my contemporaries. And most specifically, I'm prepared to do anything to elect my candidate short of breaking the law. That I haven't done.
1: So, but, but the question I want to ask is, who is Roger Stone? So, for example, if I was in high, I mean, I know the stories about in, your, in high school when, you know, you, you were looking at the election and John F. Kennedy was running and you know you're looking at the two and you're going out there saying you know i think they're going to make school day on saturday and you you already knew how to get people to be convinced on different sides but if i'm in high school with you and you're not 17 18 i'm talking to the 14 year old roger stone who was the 14 year old roger stone
0: well let's see the 14 year old roger stone was someone who lived in a rural area where there were no children my age within 25 or 30 miles you know what that means patrick no basketball no baseball, no football, no team sport becomes available to you. So now you're relegated to sports that you can do by yourself, like long distance running or weightlifting. Uh, It makes you more of a loner, I guess. Mm. I'm the oldest of three children. My sisters are much younger than I I am. Uh, I I was the president of my uh, class and the president of the student body in my high school two years in a row having been elected as a junior uh, and also elected as a senior, unprecedented. Um, I started studying how to get people to vote the way I wanted them to as a psychological experiment very early. I'm a Roman Catholic. I got all my sacraments uh, in the church. Uh, I uh, I don't believe every iota of Roman Catholic dogma uh, but I very recently reaffirmed my belief in Christ. It's helped me enormously get through this ordeal in which the the full weight of the federal government is placed on you in an effort to get you to do something dishonest. In my case, testify falsely against the president of the United States. It takes enormous fortitude to refuse. They They hold out a path that would take all the pressure off of you, that would relieve all your personal and financial and family stress, and I simply said no. Uh, and I had to pray to God for support in that decision. I, I realize this is not a religious program and I'm not trying to proselytize, but I am trying to answer your question about who I am. I'm Were you? a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a great-grandfather. Uh, I found great solace in the support of my family during this entire uh, ordeal. My wife, uh, Nadia, who's suffering from rheumatoid arthritis, has completely supported my decision to plead not guilty, to not roll over on the president, even she, even though she knows our path might have been easier had we done so. She's been behind me 100%. Uh, and she suffered through the late nights of anxiety and the panic attacks uh, and the other things that people don't see. Um, but I'll never quit fighting. I'm not a quitter. Uh, people asked me about my reverence for Richard Nixon, who I met as a very young man and who was really my mentor in American politics. Now there is no question that Nixon made some egregious mistakes, but he also accomplished some very great things. He was a peacemaker. He got a, a strategic arms limitation agreement with the Soviets, opened the door to China, ended the war in Vietnam, desegregated the public schools, saved Israel in the 1973 Yom Kippur War, many great accomplishments, but that's not really why I revere him. I revere him because he was indestructible, because he got knocked down again and again and again. And as I think it was Vince Lombardi who said, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get up. The story of Nixon is a story of resilience. It's a story of persistence. It's it's an American story. And that's why I have a tattoo of him on my back. It's not a political statement. It's not a joke. It's a daily reminder that in life, particularly when your hand did nothing, that you have to just keep fighting
1: for what you believe in. So so the, the question back in high school is, were you the guy bullying or were you the guy that was bullied? Which one were you?
0: I was more the guy who was bullied um, because I had no aptitude for sports. I wasn't among the jock set. Uh, and because uh, I wasn't uh, a pothead, I wasn't among the hippie contingent, which was just on the rise when I was in high school. So I had to appeal to both groups for votes. Uh, and um, you know, I had a pretty successful high school political career. It's interesting that the New Yorker uh, magazine wrote a long piece about my uh, high school years, never once bothering to interview me. Uh, I won my election as a a student body president, 981 to 61, but somehow the people at the New Yorker managed to find the 61 people. They couldn't find the 981 that voted for me.
1: So you were the one that was bullied?
0: I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, I I had, I would be tormented on the school bus because I was carrying political books and interested in topics that no one else cared about. The 1968 election took place when I was in high school uh, and I was a very big supporter of the comeback of Richard Nixon. Nobody else in my class cared about the election. They were all interested in sports or girls or cars or all these other things, uh, but I was interested in politics.
1: You you know, uh, for somebody to take it to the levels that you took it where You don't take, I mean, one of your rules is, uh, your 10 rules is what? You're saying the fact that, you know, attack, 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 never defend, you know, uh, always be on the offensive, you know, all these things that you talk about with your 10 rules, we'll get into that here in a minute, is for somebody to be that shippy and to have that kind of a drive to go beat the opponent, whatever it takes in the most creative way. There has, to, there has to be an event that really moved you as an individual. W- was it an event that really pissed you off and you said, I'm going to prove a point? Was there a woman that left you public humiliation, a loss, an ass whooping? Was there anything like that that happened that created the fire in you? Or was it just, this is how you were born from day one? Well, I guess I had um, some resentment of the
0: fact that um, my parents, uh, didn't, they didn't make it through high school. Uh, they were very hardworking, uh, religious people. Um, we were lower middle class, not upper middle class. Uh, I saw the privileged kids, uh, in my school whose parents gave them clothes and cars and nice vacations. So yeah, I had some resentment and that resentment drives you, drives you to succeed. It drives Mm -hmm. you to demonstrate that you are as good or as better. It means you have to work harder means you have to be uh, more dedicated, Uh, but we did that. You know, my father was a well digger. That's what he did for a living. He and his brother ran uh, a company where it it was a rural area. So if you owned a home, you had to drill your own artesian well and put in your own pumping system if you wanted to have drinking water or water to bathe with or cook with. Uh, And he ran an old fashioned chop drill we're essentially a, a metal bit hits the ground over and over and over again. Uh, he would leave for work every morning about 6, 5.30, 6. Uh, he would come home at the end of the day around 6, completely covered with mud, just caked with mud. My mother would hose him down in the backyard, then she would serve him dinner, and then he would go to bed, and he would wake up the next morning and do the exact same thing every day six days a week. Sunday, we went to church, and he took the afternoon off. You know, Patrick, I never heard him complain. Not once did I hear him complain. But I can tell you this, when I introduced him to Ronald Reagan in Norwalk, Connecticut, and said, Governor Reagan, this is my dad, I could not have seen my father be prouder of me and everything I had accomplished. In his own way, he was a a great man, a simple man, uh, a, a man who believed deeply in his Catholic faith, a man who believed it very much in thrift and hard work, but a man who gave everything so that his children could be educated and have a better life.
1: That's, a, that's a very interesting when you're telling that story about where you were at. So now, uh, privileged kids, so you're growing up around privileged kids. Typically, when somebody is raised around privileged kids and you experience some of that uh, anger, my dad worked at a 99 cent store. So I relate the fact that you know when your dad works at a 99 cent store in Inglewood, your parents get a divorce, you kind of got a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. But typically when you're around others that are privileged, wouldn't you become a Democrat instead of a Republican? What caused you to want to become a Republican over being a Democrat? Uh,
0: When I was uh, 11 years old, uh, just before I turned 12, uh, the woman who lived next door to us, um, who was wealthier than we were, uh, uh, but a very nice lady, Uh, gave me a copy of a book called Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater. And until that time, I had aspired to be an actor. What I wanted to be was an actor. Uh, And my parents, of course, uh, kept saying, no, son, you need to learn a trade. You should be a plumber or an electrician or, you know, or a carpenter. Those people make really good money. Um, And I said, no, I, I want to be an actor. I want to be on Broadway. I want to be in films. I want to be on television. Um, they realized that had I tried that, I would have starved to death. Uh, but once I read this book, um, I, was, I was transfixed. I now knew exactly what I believed in. It was the first time I'd seen anybody codify the things that I felt, that we needed a strong national defense, that we needed to limit the size and cost of government, that we needed maximum personal freedom, uh, that communism was inherently evil, Uh, and that it was a real danger to our society, uh, that this was the greatest country uh, on the face of the planet and that the people who founded it had undergone extraordinary hardships to build the union that we enjoy today. Uh, And I knew at that point that I wanted to be in politics. There was a brief period of time um, when I thought about being a candidate, but uh, I'm really uh, not the extrovert that I try hard to be. I'm Actually, somewhat more introverted. And therefore, I became more interested in the mechanics of politics, of the back uh, room of politics, of how to get people to, you know, to legitimately, of course, vote the way you want them to, the use of sophisticated polling data and advertising techniques uh, and messaging and that end of politics. Um, and then I figured out that politics was really show business for ugly people. And I never looked back.
1: Show business for ugly people. (laughs) By the way, you talked about earlier when you were talking about uh, Trump, you mentioned the fact that insiders and outsiders, and you said, here's a Trump that's coming up from an outsider wanting to compete with a bunch of insiders, But, but he got somebody like you to help him out. Wouldn't you be like the capital insider to get? Because if there's anybody that's an insider, it's you. Wouldn't that be the case when he hired you? Um,
0: I don't think so. I mean, first of
1: all, I think we have to have the context. Um, I met
0: Donald Trump uh, when I was working for Governor Ronald Reagan in 1979, preparing for the 1980 election. I was assigned New York State, uh, as well as New Jersey and Connecticut. For Ronald Reagan in 1980, those were very tough states. Uh, The rap on Reagan was, you know, he's another Goldwater. He's an extremist. Um, The party would get decimated if we nominated him. We need someone more moderate, or maybe even someone more liberal. The Republican establishment in New York State was supporting George H.W. Bush, a guy who couldn't figure out whether he was from Connecticut or Texas. The cowboy boots and the pork rinds didn't fool anybody. He grew up in Greenwich, dude, be who you are. I worked for Tom Kane, the governor of New Jersey. He was the ultimate wasp. He had a strange accent. He had strange mannerisms, but he never tried to be something he wasn't. And people loved him because he was genuine. We've elected patricians in this country. The working people voted for Franklin Roosevelt. How more patrician could you get? It's the politician who tries to be something they're not that the voters can see through immediately. This is what I love so much about Trump. What you see is what you get. He's unscripted. He's unmanaged, he is He is unhandled, he is uncontrolled, he owes nobody. He got to the presidency owing nobody, no special interest, not Wall Street, not the banks, not the insurance companies, not the defense industry. He got to the White House owing only the American people. And therefore he's completely unrestrained in what he can do. He owes no special interest. Uh, and he's extraordinarily independent, I mean, no one, tells him what to think, what to say, where to go, who to appoint, uh, what to do. And I think the American people find that refreshing. He's also not politically correct. So he may not be eloquent, but he's always articulate. You always know exactly where he stands, Um, which is why as early as 1988, I began thinking of him as a presidential candidate. I was right in my assumption that over time, that the country would tire of career politicians from both parties who promise great things at election time and then never deliver them. We had uh, we had uh, Clinton, Bush, Obama. They were all going to withdraw our troops from Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq, and they're still there. Uh, you know, it, it the, the it's like changing the pins on the the soiled diaper of a baby, but leaving the diapers in place. Nothing really changes. The rhetoric at election time, say between Romney and Obama, they tried very hard to sound different, but when you get right down to it, other than maybe in the area of tax policy, what they were offering you was exactly the same. I knew with Donald Trump it would be different, that he wanted to take the country in a completely different direction. Uh, and. Uh, I I know this uh, because I've known him for 40 years. He didn't run because he needed to be president. He didn't run because he wanted the pomp and circumstance or the prestige or the name ID or the beautiful house or the great plane. He ran because he saw the country being run into the ditch and he got tired of it. Uh, The one thing in business that he hates more than anything else is waste and being taken advantage of and he saw America wasting money and being taken advantage of around the globe. And the point finally came where he had to do something for us, for his country, not for himself. He's lost billions in this job. And he has to suffer the daily vituperation and the tsunami of hate and false accusations against him and his family every single day, which would fell a lesser man, but who just gets right back up gets right back in their face and keeps fighting uh so he's a person of enormous courage he's also uh and i can tell you this firsthand i worked for richard nixon i worked for senator bob dole who by the way is a great american patriot they're both very tough guys but donald trump is tougher than either one of them he's actually the toughest individual i've ever dealt with when he believes in something when he sets his mind on something He will, there is no limit to his drive to accomplish it.
1: Who who comes second to his level of drive that you work with? You work with a lot of different personalities. Bob Dole, Nixon, Reagan, Kemp. The list is a long list. Who comes close to him?
0: Well, it's very hard. I I think my answer might surprise you. Senator Arlen Specter. You know why? Because he lost a race for mayor, district attorney, governor, and U.S. Senate. Before he finally won a race for the U.S. Senate, that's drive, that's drive.
1: So, so would you would you consider yourself almost just to kind of get an idea? And I'm not talking about the lobbying side of it. We'll get to that here in a minute. But do you see yourself somebody as like in Hollywood? There's a manager that has talent that they represent, or in the NBA, NFL, there's uh, you know agents and managers that represent a certain talent. Are you somebody that you sit there and you actually look at people and say? that guy can be a president one day that guy has what it takes i think she's got it i think he's got it is that how you look at people when you see talent
0: uh i think that's true yes i think i can assess political talent which you know is a combination in the television age in the mass media age of of uh, uh, of charisma uh of ability to communicate uh, the ability to talk as you know in short understandable sound bites uh the most dangerous thing in politics is not being wrong the most dangerous thing in politics is being boring when a candidate for public office is boring when they really have nothing to say when they play it safe and they just keep uh producing platitudes for the american people voters view politics like they view entertainment boy this show is boring i think i'll turn the channel they turn you off and they start to look elsewhere Uh, There's nothing more dangerous in politics than trying to ride out the clock. Uh, When you're in an election going into the home stretch and you're ahead by say five points and therefore you decide in the closing days to say nothing controversial, to not rock the boat. When you're sitting still in politics, you're losing. You're only gaining when you are moving. And moving means taking risks, expressing ideas, being out there on the cutting edge and entertaining the voters and engaging them in a way in which they see something interesting
1: in your candidacy. So are you saying if Romney would have hired you, he would have been president? Well,
0: that guy was so phony, I'm not
1: sure even I could have elected him. I mean, he was
0: in three debates and he was three different guys, three different times. As I said earlier, the voters can spot a phony a mile away. A guy who says, uh, I'm severely conservative No conservative would ever describe themselves that way. Uh, Mitt was not a conservative. Mitt didn't even become a Republican until he decided to uh, run for the U.S. Senate against Ted Kennedy, and in that race, he ran to Kennedy's left on everything. You wouldn't think there'd be any room to Ted Kennedy's left. Uh, Then uh, he came back to run for governor, uh, and he ran again as a liberal Republican. Uh, And then when he decided he wanted to become president, he started calling himself a conservative. Uh, But there's a long family tradition here. Recognize his father, Governor George Romney of Michigan. He knifed Barry Goldwater in the back, just the same way Mitt Romney knifed Donald Trump in the back. People need to understand the background here. Romney decided to run for the U.S. Senate in Utah, a state that he does not live in. I think he owns property there, but he lives in Massachusetts, or he did then. Sure, there's a long Romney family tradition in Utah, but the state treasurer, a Republican, a Trump supporter, very popular, he wanted to run for the Senate. So Mitt Romney prevailed on President Trump to muscle the state treasurer out of the race and endorse Mitt Romney for the Senate, all of which the president did uh, in a gesture of peacemaking. For which Mitt Romney turned around and stabbed him right in the back. At two,
1: Mitt. I remember that when that took place, by the way. So uh, just out of curiosity, would you compare a Romney and the way he campaigned to how Kerry campaigned, what, two decades ago? Kind of some of their challenges, because there was a little bit of the flip-flopping and whatever I could say to win an audience over. Well, the problem, of course, is that neither one of them had any could relate to the
0: common man. I mean, th- the great thing about Trump is, while he may be a billionaire, he can relate to the common person. He can, he can relate to the cab driver and the bricklayer and the, you know, and the waitress in the diner because he speaks colloquial English. He talks the way people talk. I mean, there's a famous story about John Kerry going into a Boston bar and saying, uh, uh, around for the house. And of course, all the working men cheer. And then he says, and I'll have a cavassier and a snifter. It's a perfect example of the elitism uh, of both Mitt Romney. I mean, Mitt Romney never had the same hair color in any of the debates. There's just nothing genuine about him. Uh, He's a guy reading a script written by other people. Whereas Donald Trump doesn't have a script. There's no 28-year-old speechwriter somewhere saying, here, Mr. President, here are your talking points. It's not how it works with Donald Trump. That's because he's not a politician. He's the leader of a political movement, but he's not a politician. He never really aspired to be a US Senator. Uh, He toyed with running for governor. And fortunately he became convinced that Albany was too small for him, which it was. His destiny was to be right where he is. I think he was the right man at the right time to stop this country from hurtling over the cliff to globalism. Uh, I think he's, not only was he the only, was he the Republican who could beat Hillary Clinton, he was actually the only Republican who could beat Hillary Clinton. Why do I say that? If you look at Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, in those blue collar, working class Democratic precincts, He runs five to seven points ahead of where Mitt Romney ran or where John McCain ran. He could win the votes of working class, Democrat union member voters where they couldn't. Why? Because he's a regular guy. He's not a stiff. uh, And those folks can spot a stiff a mile away. And he's also not a cranky old man like John McCain was.
1: That is, it's so true, the fact that working man They're around other working men, and and their body language is what they're looking at, so they can see when they're looking at certain people on what to vote for and what what not to vote for. You know, sometimes you watch the news, and you watch times, and you watch people's behavior, men's behavior change based on who the president is. When Clinton was president, you saw a lot of people take uh, some of his style. When Obama was president, it was his style. When Bush was president, they took a little bit his. Reagan, senior, it doesn't matter, Trump, you can go back and forth. In sports, uh, you know, you look at someone and you'll say, you build a team around what position? In basketball, it changes sometimes. First, you need a center. Well, today it's not been a center league. It's been a more shooting guard league. Or you need a point guard, or all this other stuff. When you look at talent, they don't look the same. They don't talk the same. Reagan talks very different than Trump. Trump talks very different than Obama. Obama talks different than Bush, Bush Sr., you know, JFK, Nixon. You go and look at a lot of these candidates. What are some no matter what's you need for somebody to have the goodies to become the president of the United States?
0: Uh, it's a very hard thing to put your finger on. Uh, but in this age of, of mass communication, in the age of television, whether it's really now cable or satellite or broadcast TV, I think there's a certain charisma, a certain magnetism, a certain size I don't mean physical size although Donald Trump is very tall and very broad-shouldered but um, in 1988 um, the first time I tried to to uh, convince Donald Trump to run for president and he was shall we say mildly amused by my idea uh, I arranged for him to speak to the Chamber of Commerce in Portsmouth New Hampshire a couple months before the New Hampshire primary uh, and we took his black helicopter from New York to Uh, to New Hampshire. There were more people there to watch the helicopter landing than who'd shown up for Vice President George Bush at the same location about two weeks previously. I think it was a chamber of commerce. Lunch was sold out, so they had to set up speakers in outer rooms so more people could hear the speech. It was the largest crowd they'd ever had. And what did he talk about? Why are we getting ripped off by our allies in NATO? Why are we paying a disproportionate share for their defense? I could understand it after World War II when they were economically decimated and we were wealthy, but now our economy is struggling and they're wealthy. Why aren't they paying their fair share? If I were president, and I'm not running for president folks, but if I were president, I'd make them pay their fair share. What? And this is pre-NAFTA. What about these trade deals? we are getting ripped off. They're really good for our trading partners, but they move all the jobs abroad. This is 1988, an amazing consistency. But more importantly, I saw the electricity of the crowd. I saw the way they reacted. They were stomping, waving their napkins. I mean, there was an energy in the room that you rarely see in politics, and this wasn't even technically a political speech. Uh, And I realized then that my instinct was correct that Donald Trump could be president if a time would come that he wanted to be But 1988 he still had real estate mountains to climb. He still had real estate projects he had not yet accomplished Um, The time was not right with the American people. They were still electing career politicians expecting something different but getting exactly the same thing uh, I wanted him to run again in 2000. The late Ross Perot, uh, very well known there where you are in Dallas, uh, and then governor of Minnesota, uh, Jesse Ventura, who had a relationship with with uh, Donald Trump from his days wrestling at the Trump Casino in, uh, at the Trump Plaza in Atlantic City, uh, urged him to run um, to give the president all, defer- all deference. I think, You know, he would tell you today. Well, that was more rogers idea than mine Uh, I did my best to convince him. We made some exploratory efforts. He spent some money on polling But he ultimately concluded Correctly that one had to be either a republican or a democrat to be elected president that the mechanism did not really exist uh, for the election of a third party or an independent candidate that you could not get into the national debates, either by lawsuit or any other reasonable way. It's really a closed job. Uh, and that he would have to be either a Republican or a Democrat if he ever ran. Then for two years, he would just needle me and say, you know, I think I'll run as a Democrat, just because just he knew I would, uh, I would go insane. Uh, but it was a joke between us. Uh, and he is, his parents were both, who I knew very well, great people, great people. Uh, They were both hardcore Goldwater Republicans, Reagan Republicans. Uh, Donald was a registered Republican his whole life uh, until he briefly shifted to the Independence Party in New York, which was the affiliate of the Reform Party so that he would be technically eligible to run for the Reform nomination in 2000. The day after he decided not to run, he switched back to the Republican Party. uh, And he was on the Ronald Reagan uh, finance Committee for New York State. That's how we met uh, and how we became friends. Uh, so he has actually always politically been there. I remember when he was running for president and many conservatives kept saying he's not a real conservative. Really? Look at these judicial appointments. Look at these tax cuts. Look at these rec- regulatory cuts. Look at the ways we rebuilt our military strength. I think his credentials have been more than proven.
1: So, you know, when you're talking about uh, uh, President Trump, the Chamber of Commerce event that you set up, that he went up and he started talking about all these different things, it almost reminds me the story of how Reagan, when he got hired by GE, I'm sure you've read this or you know about this, where he would go around giving speeches, they were paying him a million dollar year income and he was supposed to talk about how special of a company GE is, yep. and he couldn't help himself from talking about politics. And eventually they had to let him go because it was too much, Politics and it wasn't enough about what GE stood for and a kind of a a, a, it was you know frustrating GE Do you think a part of again? I'm going back to seeing the Foundation of somebody that you look at to say this person's got what it takes to one day go run for it Do you think it's a person that uh, goes out there and does something where eventually they can become a president if you look at a Nixon He got the job done became a president if you look at a Reagan if you look at a Bush if you look at a Trump each one of them had a different thing that led them to become a president. What would you say was each one of their strengths that helped them become a president? Well, I think in Donald Trump's case, there's a couple of things.
0: One, he had built a successful multi-billion dollar business. Number two, largely because of The Apprentice, everybody in America knew who Donald Trump was. The greatest challenge for a presidential candidate, let's take uh, Marco Rubio, for example. Yeah i live in florida i know who he is but let's go out out on the street outside your studio and ask the first seven people we see who marco rubio is and they're going to tell you they have no idea so in the stages of a presidential campaign normally speaking step one is to become well known you can't tell people what you stand for if they don't even know who you are donald trump had the ability to completely uh, uh not have to go through that because from day one People knew he was the most successful entrepreneur in the country, if not the world. He, he already had a brand. He'd worked very hard to build that brand. Trump stood for success. Trump stood for quality. Trump stood for victory. Trump stood for integrity. Uh, in the real estate interest uh, industry, everybody understood that a Trump building would be first class that everything would be top of the line whether it's the marble or the glass or the chrome or the design it would always be the best and even in the later years when he would he would franchise his name those agreements allowed him to control the quality of what was being built so that his name would never go on anything that was substandard even if he owned a minority piece of it uh, I think that was a very smart business thing because he did not want to dilute the brand name, which stood for quality. Uh, the the stature uh, of having that high name ID, the courage to say exactly what you think, not to be a politician who sticks a wet finger in the wind to find out which, which way the wind is blowing in order to say things that will be popular. What can I say that will be popular as opposed to Donald Trump who says, I'm just gonna tell you what I think. And, and voters, I think, found that refreshing. Trump was interested. People know he's unscripted. They know you never know what he might say. Let's tune in, this could be interesting. Whereas all these other candidates, particularly Hillary Clinton, Everybody knew that every word coming out of her mouth had been polled and roundtabled and and focus grouped and studied. It was completely phony. That was also, I think, in some cases, mistaken. When you denigrate your opponent's supporters as deplorables, and by the way, that was no mistake, that was a planned insult, you are alienating people who might under some circumstance consider voting for you. You can attack your opponent, but why would you attack the people voting for your opponent?
1: So, so that was Trump. How about the other candidates that you work with? Nixon, Bush, Reagan. What was their MO that helped them become presidents?
0: Uh, Reagan is, you know, it's interesting because Donald Trump has some of the qualities of each of them. Like Ronald Reagan, uh, Reagan was a big picture guy. Reagan was more than happy to leave the details of governing to his appointees, He focused on the big picture, whether it was no tax increases, whether it was rebuilding the military, whether it was taking a hard line against the Soviets. Remember, he inherited detente and the underlying premise of detente under Richard Nixon and uh, Dr. Kissinger was that we would never beat the Russians in the arms race and therefore we had to find a way to coexist with them. The shift to Reagan is very dramatic Reagan takes a a new position. No, we will beat the Soviets. And our arms buildup required them to try to compete, which then collapsed their economy, and down came the wall. Reagan was very focused on the big picture. Trump is very much like that, very focused on the big picture. Nixon, um, however, has, uh, uh, I should say, Trump has Nixon's persistence. Nixon's stubbornness and I don't mean that in a negative sense I mean it in the positive sense that when he believes something when he sets out to achieve something He he won't be deterred Uh, He and as I said earlier Trump has much of Nixon's Toughness in terms of say Dwight Eisenhower who I think is really underrated as one of our greatest presidents Because of his self-deprecation in other words, He liked to kind of act like the bumbling old general who didn't really know what he was doing, but he was very smart and very in control of our government. And we had unprecedented peace and prosperity under Dwight Eisenhower. So Trump is shrewd like Eisenhower. He doesn't show all of his cards like Eisenhower. So I think he has many of the same qualities of those I consider our greatest presidents.
1: What would you say on the other side with Obama, with uh, Clinton, and with Jimmy Carter? These are the last three presidents, or even John F. Kennedy. What were their strengths?
0: Well, John F. Kennedy, of course, if he were running today, would be would have to be a Republican because he was an ardent anti-communist. He wanted to return to either a gold or a silver-backed dollar. Uh, he he uh, was worried about an arms race with the Soviets. He wanted to get ahead of the Soviets. He was a strong for strong national defense people don't recognize this but kennedy won the 1960 election over nixon by running to nixon's right the missile gap hui Moi and matsu Su, and the red chinese menace uh, the threat of castro only 90 miles off our shore which he ac- accused the nixon eisenhower eisenhower nixon administration of not doing enough for uh, Yeah, i think when joe mccarthy went in the voting booth he probably voted for jack kennedy uh having dated jack's sister rather than his senate colleague richard nixon so uh uh, john kennedy was would have been had he lived one of our greatest presidents now one of the great misnomers of course is that he did anything for civil rights he did nothing for civil rights he talked about it he campaigned on it he promised it, but his vice president, Lyndon Johnson, convinced him over and over again that it was too soon to have a Voting Rights Act. It was too soon to have an Open Housing Act. It was too soon to have a uh, an, uh, an open, uh, you know, a voter, um, uh, uh, a voter protection system. Uh, and of course, as soon as Jack Kennedy was murdered, Lyndon Johnson did all those things that he had reserved for himself, going from a hardcore segregationist who as Senate president had killed every single piece of civil rights legislation other than the 1958 civil rights bill into which Johnson inserted a poison pill saying those uh, indicted for civil rights crimes would be uh, tried before state rather than federal juries. Well, no Mississippi or Louisiana uh, uh, or Georgia jury would convict a white man of a crime against a black man in 1960. So Lyndon Johnson, who was a segregationist and a hater his entire life, is now remembered as the civil rights president. How ironic. Uh, it is, uh, it is uh, uh, in the case of the other presidents you mentioned. Obama. Uh, Obama w- had enormous talent. It's very hard to understand how he came from nowhere to somewhere so quickly, how he went from being essentially a complete unknown Then he gives an electrifying speech at the national convention, which makes him a national candidate. Uh, you gotta remember the famous conversation recounted in Ted Kennedy's book where Bill Clinton, uh, says to Ted Kennedy, this boy, Obama, I don't know, Ted, a few years ago, he'd be carrying our bags and serving our coffee. Interesting. Uh, you know, I think Obama was very talented in his ability to communicate. Uh, my own wife considered voting for him because he, he was promising us hope and change. He, he left us with neither, uh, but very politically talented. Also, very cool uh, in a medium, you know, in a television medium that requires that. Very effective, I think. Jimmy Carter, like Reagan in a way, in over his head, uh, swallowed up immediately by the Washington establishment who really didn't want him to begin with. He he won the nomination in the presidency completely based on an outsider strategy, based almost solely on the voters' revulsion over Watergate. Uh, but he got swallowed up immediately by uh, Br- Brzezinski and Cy Vance and all of these other establishment figures who essentially destroyed his presidency. He also was extraordinarily indecisive. Uh, and I don't think you could see that coming. When things in the country turned down, the economy was weak, we were being humiliated around the world, instead of taking action, he blamed the country. We have a national malaise, you may remember. Um, By the way, he's the only former Democratic president who, when I met, treated me quite well. He was very warm, and I enjoyed the opportunity to talk to him. He was a complete gentleman. uh, Bill Clinton is a psychopath. Read my book, The Clintons War on Women. He's charming, he's a rogue, he's very convincing, but uh, he is a, a, he's a serial assaulter of women. It is fully documented. Uh, I really think that he is a functioning psychopath. Who, who uh, do you dislike more, himself or LBJ? Oh, Lyndon Johnson is the personification of evil. If you read my book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, the case against LBJ, which is uh, still a New York Times bestseller, Mm -hmm. still does quite well. Uh, He was a sadist. He was a crook. He was an alcoholic. He was a pill popper. He was a, a womanizer. He enjoyed humiliating his staff. This is why he would conduct White House meetings while sitting on the toilet in order to embarrass and humiliate the Kennedy holdover Ivy League aides, who uh, who uh, were were still serving on the White House staff, the purpose of this was not just his crudeness. The purpose was he did it because he could. He did it because he enjoyed the discomfort uh, that it, it caused others. Um, anybody uh, who wants to understand the, the 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 psychopathic nature of Lyndon Johnson. Uh, merely needs to read my book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. I'm not an attorney, but in that book, I use eyewitness evidence, fingerprint evidence, deep Texas politics, uh, and a lot of insider knowledge, I think to make a compelling case that Lyndon Johnson has the motive, means and opportunity to kill John Kennedy, and his actions immediately after the assassination, while I admit they are
1: circumstantial, certainly bolster that case. Roger, uh, when you look at everybody today, both on the left and the right, who do you see as candidates where you say, those three have a shot in the next 20 years to be a president, these three have a shot in the next 20 years to be president. Is there anybody you see? That's a very, very difficult question.
0: Um, There are a few people that I think are potentially promising. You know, it's very early. I like the idea, and some people will scoff, but I don't really care, if the president is re-elected and i think he will be in a very tough contest then what i would like to see is for him to appoint donald trump jr as the uh, infrastructure czar pay him one dollar a year and let him take on the project of working with the with the uh, the stakeholders the unions municipalities and states to rebuild our infrastructure this is what Donald Trump Jr. does. He, like his father, is a builder. And if over four years he can prove himself in that job, he's got the family name, he's got the speaking ability, he's got the courage, he is the, he'll he be the age Jack Kennedy was, he could be president. Now, uh, that's a lot of ifs, but, uh, but when it just comes down to talent and courage, I think he has those things but there are there are others uh you know if i had to pick the person in the us senate whose politics most closely resemble mine i would have to say that would be senator rand paul now in the television age i think he himself would admit that he is not a candidate built for the television age he's kind of rumpled and almost looks like a college professor in the way he dresses He's far more interested in policy and principle than he is, you know, the the uh, whether his suit is pressed or not. Uh, but I like his politics. And had I not been for Donald Trump, uh, uh, who I had certainly an antecedent commitment to, I probably would have voted for Rand Paul as the person I most closely identified with, someone deeply suspicious of the erosion of our civil liberties and the fact that The government's spying on us. It's keeping metadata information on our emails, on our phone calls, on our text messages. Um, Now they're tracking us through our cell phones to see if we're uh, exposed to the virus, or is that really the reason they're tracking us? You're talking to somebody that the government had under surveillance for three years. They say two years, but the New York Times says three years. I have reason to believe three years is correct. So they gave me the full legal proctological examination. Uh, And as you know, for almost two years, CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the rest of the fake news media said, Roger Stone will be charged with treason. Roger Stone will be charged with conspiracy against the United States. Roger Stone will prove to be the link between Russia and the Trump campaign. Roger Stone will be charged with mail fraud, wire fraud, aiding and abetting a felony before the fact, uh, cyber crimes, including unauthorized access to a protected computer, uh, receipt and dissemination of stolen data. And after examining every corner of my life, my family life, my social life, my personal life, my political life, my business life, they could find no evidence of any of those things, which means they lied to several federal judges to get the warrants to violate my Fourth Amendment rights. Uh, So uh, I'm very concerned about this big government intrusion into the privacy rights of the average American. What happened to me, where in the flash of an eye, you can lose your voice, your ability to make a living, your home, your insurance, your savings, in the blink of an eye, if it can happen to me, believe
1: me, Patrick, it can happen to you or any other American. I saw a similar thing happen to Bernard Carrick as well when he was going Great, through the, 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 we've had Bernard Carrick on Timmin as well in the past before. Uh, uh, it was interesting seeing him go through the process. By the way, it, what, from where you're at right now with your indictment, obviously, all this stuff is public. Everybody's read about it, seen it. You know, it's, it's not something that uh, hasn't already been addressed. Where are you at with that? How are you feeling about how that's going along so far right now? Well,
0: I think there's a lot of misperceptions uh, about my case uh, for two reasons. One, um, there was at the time of my trial really pretty much of a media blackout. But the only thing that got a lot of coverage was my conviction. So if you ask the average person what it is that Stone was convicted of, they don't know. A lot of them will tell you, well, Russian collusion, which of course I was charged with lying to Congress, which is kind of laughable because Comey lied to Congress. Brennan lied to Congress. Clapper lied to Congress. Mueller lied to Congress. Rosenstein lied to Congress. McCabe lied to Congress. Page lied to Congress. Strzok lied to Congress. And the list goes on but the difference is they lied about consequential things that were material misstatements that i made to congress were completely immaterial they didn't hide any underlying crime this was a fabrication of andrew weissman who made the mistake of leaving his initials on the meta tags on my original indictment very artful uh but i didn't get a fair trial First of all, the judge eliminated every powerful argument that I could make. I was not allowed to raise the question of the misconduct of the special counsel or the FBI or the Department of Justice or any member of Congress. We now see the FBI misconduct in the Flynn case. I can tell you that even though my case records are sealed and I cannot talk about it, the FBI's conduct in my case is every bit as shocking and egregious, but I was not permitted to raise that. I wasn't permitted to raise the misconduct uh, of the special counsel, the threats that they leveled against my friends if they wouldn't testify the way they were told to. Uh, I was not allowed to argue selective prosecution, despite, despite the fact that Mueller and all these others, uh, uh, Comey, etc., had lied to Congress and I hadn't. I was not permitted to raise that defense. Uh, I wasn't permitted to prove which I could have done with forensic evidence uh, and expert testimony, that nobody hacked the DNC. The DNC was not the subject of an online hack. Now, if you read my indictment, the first five pages are based on that premise, but the judge denied me the right to misprove or disprove the underlying premise of my indictment. So it'd be like going into a prize fight with both hands tied behind your back. And then of course as we now know and then the judge gagged me so that cnn and msnbc could uh could create a tsunami of disinformation and fake news about me and my case and uh and so on but i was not permitted to respond as to destroy your ability to make a living and your reputation and then lastly we learned after the trial that the jury for woman uh, had posted on Twitter and Facebook, not just attacks on Donald Trump, which by the way alone would not uh, would not disqualify her, but attacks on me personally, starting on the day I was arrested and subsequently, and that she hid those during the period of jury selection. I believe she misled the court about them, and therefore I was not given, as the Supreme Court uh, requires, a jury that was both impartial and indifferent. The only person in the world who thought differently was Judge Jackson in my case, who said the opposite in a decision. I have appealed that decision separately from the conviction, and I will win that appeal if I am still alive by the time it's heard.
1: Let's just say you get charged. Let's say hypothetically you get charged. charged. I've been charged. I mean, let's just say you have to do the time. Let's just say you're you know, you're going through the process and President Trump, you know, comes in. Do you think he will pardon you? Uh, You know, I really don't know. I can tell you this, I have not
0: been promised a pardon. I have not been assured of a pardon. I have been encouraged by the things that he has said publicly, both on Twitter and on interviews. He knows I did not get a fair trial. Uh, He himself said it was a miscarriage of justice. Uh, And we now know, why I was targeted. They knew by August of 2017, that there was no Russian collusion. So why were they investigating me after that date? The reason is very clear. They came to me uh, or to my lawyers on July 24th of 2019. And they said, it's time for your client to come clean. It's time for your client to confess He needs to think hard about the substance of these 29 phone calls between himself and Donald Trump during the 2016 campaign. And when he's ready to tell the truth that they were really about Russia and WikiLeaks, well, then we might be willing to recommend to the judge that he serve no jail time. If, on the other hand, he isn't prepared to, their words, re-remember, we may issue a superseding indictment and hit him with more charges, and my answer was quick and and easy. I said no. And my lawyer said, "You understand how serious this is. They could add, you know, any kind of additional charges. And in this case, no matter how fabricated, you'd probably be uh, convicted." And I said, "Well, that's the way it is. Uh, I was not going to bear false witness against the president. I was not going to. Imp- I was not going to be the ham." In their ham sandwich for the Mueller report i was not going to be the 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 false testimony on which they based an impeachment and removed somebody that i have not only deep affection for but who i think even today is among our greatest presidents taking on the two-party duopoly and the media it's not easy to be donald trump but his faith hasn't wavered the hand of god is on him let me assure you He's been put in the right place at the right time for a reason. And I believe that reason will become clear to all of us by the end of his second term.
1: Roger, let's say he doesn't pardon you. What do you do? Are you okay with that? If he doesn't uh, pardon you?
0: Well, I'll have to pray for, to God for guidance in that case.
1: Oh, okay. So,
0: so. a, a great deal. Uh, I would be a political prisoner. Okay. Uh, I think people would know that. I think there would be great anger uh, among Trump supporters, uh, not at the president, but because the Justice Department, uh, in two cases, the Inspector General of the Department of Justice has recommended the criminal charges of James Comey, but Mr. Comey has not been charged. Uh, If at the end of the day, Mr. Clapper, Mr. Brennan, Susan Rice, Samantha Powers, uh, this list goes on and on. Rod Rosenstein, by the way, if lying to Congress is a crime, I watched Rosenstein today. I found 13 things he lied about. So when is he being charged? I just asked that question. Uh, I, I think that, that, um, that many of the president's supporters will be upset about the 2 tier justice in this country. If you are a, a Democrat and a supporter of Hillary Clinton, you can pull off an abuse of power that uh that is far worse than what we saw in watergate i saw uh, 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 this windbag from illinois richard durbin today saying you know instead of talking about the danger of this virus or poverty and the fact that our cities are engaged we're here talking about a rehash then i went back and looked at what he had to say about watergate when he was running for the u.s senate in 1972 and it was the worst constitutional crisis in the world let's be very clear in watergate there was never any evidence whatsoever that the president of the United States knew about or approved the break-in at the water, at the Democratic National Committee. The Democratic National Committee was broken into by a small band of private citizens who were former intelligence uh, uh, operatives, but were in private life. And they planted bugs that never worked and never produced anything. In this case, The full authority of the United States government and the Incredible Intelligence Committee's capability for surveillance and the court systems were legitimately used to spy on the Republican candidate for president, the president-elect, and the president of the United States. This makes Watergate look, as the president said the other day, like small potatoes, but to Senator Durbin, it's no big deal. It was a big deal when Nixon did it, although it wasn't, the crimes weren't nearly this egregious, but it's not a big deal today. Please, Senator, go back to Illinois. You're an embarrassment to the U.S. Senate. By the way, Senator Durbin suggested that I should be called before the committee to testify. Let me say right now, let's do it. I'm ready. You and I, Durbin, let's go head to head. I'd be happy to humiliate you. That would never happen, though. Of course not. They don't want to hear the truth. No,
1: or as uh, Jack Nicholson said, they can't handle the truth. What a movie. So, so, so when's the last time you spoke to Trump? Can you, uh, can you actually have conversations with President Trump or not at all? Uh, no, because um, his, allow- his lawyers uh, will
0: not allow it and my lawyers will not allow it. Okay, got it. Uh, so I have to, like many, I have to read the president's feelings uh, by watching his tweets and his public comments. We have many mutual friends, um, so I have every reason to believe that the president still holds me in high regard. Look, I think he understands that I was targeted only because of my loyal support for him, A- and I was targeted long after they knew there was no Russian collusion to try to come up with some basis to try to impeach him.
1: Roger, and unlike would have Michael
0: fairness, Cohen, unlike Michael fairness, Cohen, I wouldn't do it.
1: If I may say this, with all the fairness, somebody may say there's a lot of other people that also sided with him, but they're not indicted, they're not going through what they're what you're going through right now. So the opposition may say, you know, the the argument of saying they don't like the fact that I just sided with them. That's why. Uh, but, uh, but no, I think it's closer than that. First of all, I, I exchanged
0: the 39 calls that they refer to were telephone calls that lasted longer than a half an hour. That is not the total number of telephone calls between Donald Trump and myself during the 2016 campaign. Uh, so therefore, that pre- that creates a, uh, an avenue to, uh, to uh, uh, if we can get stone to say what we want about these phone calls, we've got a witness against Trump, number one. Number two, when I wrote the book, The Clintons' War on Women, uh, I think I aggravated uh, the Clintonistas the woman who headed my prosecution Jeannie Re represented the Clinton Foundation and Hillary Clinton in the missing email case if that isn't a conflict of interest I don't know what is the 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 pompous bully corrupt dirty cop Aaron Zelinsky uh, who then took over my prosecution uh, who committed many crimes which will be a subject of formal complaints to DOJ and the bar in Maryland and DC. Uh, This guy was Hillary Clinton's deputy counsel at the State Department. Now, the media keeps describing them as non-political career prosecutors. That is not true. That is not who they are. Jonathan Kravis, the U.S. attorney, assistant U.S. attorney who prosecuted me. He was the deputy counsel in the Obama White House. Abuse of power by him in previous cases is well known. His, his illegal abuses during the uh, trial of three of Congressman Ron Paul's campaign aides is epic. His uh, defrauding of the court in my case is a matter of public record for which he will ultimately have to answer. They want to fight, we will still fight, even if I have to do so from a prison cell. People who are giving to my legal defense fund at stonedefensefund.com are fueling my efforts to prove the truth. And I must tell you, Patrick, I thank 65,000 Americans who are praying for me, who are praying for my family, who are sending me the money that has sustained this fight because I have been wiped out. I have nothing. I am literally indigent. I'll tell you what I have. I have the IRS knocking on my door wanting back taxes at a time that they know I have literally nothing but the clothes on my
1: back. So let's just say President Trump is watching this and he knows there's pressure on him pardoning you, one uh, on the side of people who support you and then also on the other side of if they, he does pardon you, he's gonna get a lot of heat known re-elections coming up and maybe Jared Kushner, who is a little bit more of a logical guy who doesn't necessarily have uh, maybe the, the relationship that you have with uh, Trump since uh, 1988, Maybe Jared whispers and says, this is not a good time to uh, pardon. Maybe let's pardon in December or January or February. If they're watching this, are you okay with the pardoning not taking place anytime soon until 2021?
0: You know, one of the first things I learned in politics from Richard Nixon, don't answer hypothetical questions. Uh, here's what I know. Uh, Donald Trump is a person of great fairness. Okay. Uh, he's a great. He's a, he's a person of great mercy, and he knows what's happened here. Uh, but here's what I also know. Nobody tells Donald Trump what to do, not Roger Stone, not Jerry Kushner, not certainly not Steve Bannon, nobody. Uh, And therefore he'll make, I believe, that he will make the right decision at the right time. Uh, And I pray to God that that will be sooner rather than later. Uh, But I'm not advocating anything other than justice uh, because I think it is abundantly clear. The president has noted several times that I did not get a fair trial. When the jury forewoman is attacking me in 2019, and then she erases those posts to cover her trail, no reasonable lawyer believes that that is correctly decided. Jonathan Turley is not a conservative or a Republican. He said Stone is is entitled to a new trial on that basis. In the Boston Marathon bombing case, the, the guy convicted got a new trial because one of his jurors was posting on social media on the topic of terrorism not even that case just the topic of terrorism my juror had not a single trump supporter not a single republican not a single military veteran not a single blue collar worker not a single person with less than a college education but a majority with post-college educations three appointees from the obama and clinton uh, administrations uh, several people who had personal relationships at the Department of Justice or the FBI.
1: It was by no means uh, a jury of my peers. Knowing, knowing how he's wired, I wouldn't be surprised if he just decided to pardon you tomorrow, uh, uh, you know, after all the messes going on to have the media go crazy about the fact that you're pardoned. But let's just say he does. If he pardons you, would you agree to get a tattoo of Donald Trump instead of Nixon on your back? You know, I was thinking
0: of doing Patrick in all honesty, to do it right. I thought I would add Trump, Goldwater, and Buckley to my back to have kind of a Mount
1: Rushmore Buckley type thing. Wow. Buckley on that list. Uh, uh, he's he's one of a kind. They, they don't have too many Buckley's nowadays. So 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 that means we should be expecting some new tattoos here soon. They say you can't just get one tattoo on life. But once you start one, there's a bunch that come afterwards. Well, from your mouth to God's ear. <laughs> Okay. Let's talk about a little bit of the dirty politics. All you hear about from from the side of the people that are not in the world of politics, dirty politics. And it's very obvious. I mean, you know, uh, you've done some very, very, some would call some nasty tricks, games, manipulation, whatever it may be. You've done some interesting things when it comes on to politics. Who do you think plays dirtier politics, the left or the right, Democrats or Republicans? Well, you know, in
0: 1960, uh, the West Virginia primary became very pivotal for John F. Kennedy. So Robert Kennedy put together a piece of literature attacking Jack Kennedy's Roman Catholicism. He put Hubert Humphrey's disclaimer, paid for by Humphrey for president, and he mailed it to every Catholic household. What would you call that? I'd call that a dirty trick. Wouldn't you call that a dirty trick? And then in the Wisconsin primary, he, he would uh, put out a mailing accusing Hubert Humphrey of being a draft dodger while Jack Kennedy was a war hero. The problem was that Humphrey volunteered for the service and he was turned down for physical reasons. Now, I call that a, a, a dirty trick, but I guess I'd say this, they call me a dirty trickster. I don't think I've done anything that's beyond the bounds of my contemporaries. But if I am one, that means I can spot one. And the Russian collusion hoax is the greatest single political dirty trick in American politics. It is the harnessing of the authority uh, of the United States government and the capability of our intelligence agencies to spy on a political opponent. It's the use of the government, of the machinery for political purposes. It's sedition, it's treasonous, and it's highly illegal.
1: Would you consider yourself a uh, hyper-competitive guy? No question about it okay I hate, so, lo- I hate losing it makes me puke so so would you say anybody in the game is better at the game of politics and the tricks behind marketing whatever it is than you anybody in the game
0: well i, I think the problem with politics is it looks easy from the outside people i think don't really recognize that political strategy is a science that you're not basing anything on your instincts or your feelings or even your own personal beliefs. You You base campaign strategy on very sophisticated voter research surveys, that means polling, but the purpose of the polling is, I think, widely misunderstood by the public. It's not to find out who's ahead and who's behind, those are actually the least important numbers. It's to find out what of your core messages move voters. What what information is it that you can communicate to voters that will get them to vote for you and and not your opponent, or to move from undecided to vote for you? Then the second question you have to answer is, what's the most efficient way to deliver this information? Let me give you an example. Joe Biden makes a great comeback in the Democratic nomination process in South Carolina because he gets an almost monolithic African-American vote. Do those African-American voters realize that Joe Biden is the father uh, of the uh, legislation that has incarcerated more black people for first time nonviolent drug crimes than anybody in history? That the Biden bill, as he used to proudly call it, uh, which mandated the uh, absolutely mandatory Uh, harsh penalties for the first-time nonviolent crime of possession of tiny amounts of drugs for personal use is responsible for the mass incarceration at this point of millions of Black people who are trapped in our penal system with extraordinarily long uh, 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 sentences, which has destroyed lives, destroyed families destroyed uh, uh without any hope of rehabilitation and if you're a conservative it's costing taxpayers millions of dollars to house and feed and incarcerate people who are not a, a menace to society people who are not inherently violent people who haven't been convicted of a violent crime Joe Biden he's the father of this he doesn't recant he argued with a woman in New Hampshire about how successful this policy has been the war on drugs was Richard Nixon's biggest single mistake. However, it's Bill Clinton and Joe Biden who turbocharged the war on drugs. Under Nixon, there were not mandatory penalties. A judge could take into consideration if the housewife who's caught with a small amount of marijuana in her purse but has to work a day and a night job to support three kids should get a different uh, uh, sentenced in some gangbanger caught with a quarter ounce of cocaine. But today a judge doesn't have that discretion. Thanks to Joe Biden, Joe Biden, who started his career as an opponent of the desegregation of the Wilmington school system. That Joe Biden, Joe Biden, whose son as attorney general refused to investigate the hangings of black men all over Southern Delaware, saying that it wasn't racially motivated when the evidence is to the contrary. So people need to know Joe Biden's real record. Why do I say this? Because I've seen polling and it moves people. Now, let's go to question two. How do you impart that? Urban radio in this country is both inexpensive and has extraordinary reach to African-American voters. In every major swing state, Detroit, Milwaukee, Richmond, Charlotte, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, These voters are not difficult to reach and the message that will get them to see the real Joe Biden. I was very happy to see the president tweet about this today. It is a major and legitimate issue. When Joe Biden says, I've always been a great advocate for civil rights. Number one, he said he marched with Dr. King. That is a lie. He never marched with Dr. King and he has race baited throughout his career when it benefited him.
1: So, so let me ask you this question, since you were a Barry Goldwater fan yourself and you read his book on uh, uh, conservatives, is in 1960, 64, 64% of African-Americans voted for uh, the Democratic Party. Again, in 1960, 64% voted for the Democratic Party. Fast forward four years later, 1964, 92% did. That means a lot of African-Americans were conservative at one point, pre-Barry Goldwater. Barry well, Goldwater somewhat changed that, right? And today we're at 88 percent Yes. Uh um, by the way, I know you're a fan of a, a Berry Barry Goldwater, so I'm curious to know what you say about that. The, I'm asking it, this for a reason.
0: Let's take it, let's take it from a larger context, if we may.
1: Let, let me finish the Quiet. question and then I want you to answer. Let All me finish the question. Okay. And you see where I'm going with this. The reason why I'm asking this is because do you think what Barry Goldwater did to cause the Republicans to lose the African American vote from 64%, which means 36% was open to voting Republican, African Americans, to 92%, today it's 88%, that's a big number. Charlemagne God says, you know, Democrats just have the uh, uh, African American vote, right? And then you hear Joe Biden say, if you vote for Trump, you're not black. My question for you would be, do you think what Barry Goldwater did to cause the Republicans lose a ton of African-American votes to Democrats. Do you think Joe Biden could cause Democrats to lose a lot of votes to Republicans with what he just said?
0: Uh, If if those voters, if today's black voters get the real information, yes. Let me put it in a little broader context, if I may. Eisenhower gets about a third of a black vote. In 1932, more black Americans voted for Herbert Hoover than Franklin Roosevelt. The the black vote in America was traditionally Republican. Why? Because of the Civil War. The Democratic Party was the party of segregation. The Republican Party was the party of emancipation. That changed during the New Deal for economic reasons, and a majority of black voters started voting Democratic, but still a solid third of them still voted Republican. In 1960, running against Jack Kennedy, Nixon still retained 33 two and a half percent of the African-American vote. Jackie Robinson was campaigning for Richard Nixon in 1960. In 1964, Barry Goldwater, who had personally desegregated the family department stores in Phoenix, and who was a member of the NAACP in Phoenix, opposed the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Act because he said it, it violated the state's rights, that the states needed to desegregate, not the federal government. Therefore, he was depicted by a monolithic uh, mainstream media as being anti-civil rights, despite his record in Phoenix, which was to the contrary. Now, Richard Nixon bears some responsibility here, because in 1968, you have to remember, he has Humphrey running to his left, and he has George Wallace running to his right. He cannot afford to lose votes to either one of them. So he basically, uh, they, they all talk about the Southern strategy that he essentially said civil rights laws need to be applied evenly. Busing in Boston is just as wrong as busing in, in South Carolina. Racism in the Boston school systems is just as egregious, egregious as the racism in the Southern school systems. Uh, now he gets elected. This is where it becomes important. Richard Nixon desegregated the public schools. At the time he became president, 17 percent uh, of them were desegregated, were segregated, were desegregated. Almost eighty-two percent, I guess, were still segregated. By the time he left office, that was about seven percent. No violence, no bloodshed, desegregation. Richard Nixon gave us affirmative action. Affirmative action is not a Johnson or a Kennedy policy. Affirmative action is a Nixon policy giving folks a leg up who had been discriminated against for centuries. I'm the last conservative that still defends affirmative action. Who tripled the funding for black colleges as president? Who appointed more African-Americans to public office than LBJ and John Kennedy combined? Richard Nixon. Who increased by 90% the funding for civil rights law enforcement at the Justice Department? Richard Nixon. So I would say the record is more important than the the rhetoric, but the rhetoric cost us a majority of the African-American vote. Uh, Then uh, there was no particular effort made by more recent Republican nominees. McCain, uh, Romney, they offer no strategy for the cities. They offer no strategy for the improvement of lives of Black Americans. And then along comes Donald Trump. And in my opinion, a historic opportunity uh, you have a growing black middle-class you had African American and all minority unemployment at the lowest point possible what do African Americans want I have a lot of African American friends you know what they want they want the same things I want they want they want to live in a safe community they want good schools for their kids they want economic opportunity they don't want to be employees they want to be employers they want a piece of of the American pie, and I think the juxtaposition of Joe Biden's record of incarcerating Black people and, Ronald, uh, and Donald Trump's record through the Second Chance Act of freeing people who are unfairly trapped in our penal system for small, nonviolent crimes is a debate I want to have.
1: So, so let me let me ask you based on that. Uh, Your thoughts with the tragic event that took place with George Floyd and the cop, uh, uh, the Minnesota cop, that led to the riots and protesting. uh, And that goes back to uh, Rodney King, March of 91. I came to the States November of uh, 28 of 1990, exactly four months later. I'm living in L.A. Rodney King's event takes place and in 92, the riots take place. We're talking 28 years difference and we're experiencing similar type of riots, if not worse. What do you think needs to happen for all of this to stop?
0: Well, first of all, I think the penalties against those four cops are not nearly severe enough. Third degree murder, no, uh-uh, much, much tougher. This, this cop absolutely knew what he was doing and the look on his face indicated to me that he was enjoying it. So I'm not satisfied that justice has been visited. The, 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 uh, the case of the one officer who watched and did nothing, he needs to be prosecuted also That's terrible, but it's not as bad as the three who actually engaged in what I believe was a murder. Uh, So justice hasn't been done there. I don't think the state has brought uh, strong enough charges against those cops. But I also recognize that this event is being used to legitimize anarchy and violence that has nothing to do with the horrific murder of George Floyd. Uh, And that I think is wrong. I saw uh, Floyd's family today appeal for peace, to uh, to appeal to people to abide by the law. I think that was a very courageous thing. Mm-hmm. Do I deny that there's still racism in our country? No, not whatsoever. But And it has to be eradicated. Uh, but the best social program in the world is a good steady job and upward mobility. Uh, the best thing we can do is give economic opportunity and equal educational and opportunity to all Americans. That's what I think Donald Trump is committed to. And that what, what that is what was working uh, until these horrific events which have the ability to change the entire political
1: calculus. How much do you think the 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 playbook, the Rules for Radicals, the book, Solinsky, how much do you think uh, uh, that book is being played out nowadays? Do you think oh. it's just a good book being written or do you think it's actually being put to use today?
0: Uh, it's being put to use today Uh, the pallets of bricks just happen to show up really how about the buses to transfer all these people around from out of state who's paying for those um you know i i did a a show on a major cable network recently uh and i was told by the producer by by the way there's one name you can't mention i said who's that you can't mention george soros in any way while you're on please and of course i honored their request because i was their guest i won't mention the network uh but uh, i don't understand that if somebody is paying for violence if they are paying people who are advocating the violent assassination of the president on social media platforms which is a crime uh if somebody is paying for uh, this uh these attacks and this violence in our cities those seems to me to be crimes Uh, And I I just wonder where Attorney General Barr and his people are. Uh, Uh, Remember the great lesson of Watergate. I'm sure you remember it because liberals said it over and over and over again. No person is above the law. No person is above the law. Would that not include Barack Obama and Joe Biden who had full knowledge of the unconstitutional uh, and seditious effort to remove Donald Trump based on completely fabricated information? It was fun to watch Rod Rosenstein try to run between the raindrops today, but he lied repeatedly about numerous things.
1: What do you expect him, President Obama to be talking about today? I think he's given a speech for the first time, you know, uh, uh, while, you know, he's not in office, he's given a speech today. What are you expect him to talk about?
0: Uh, he'll talk about racial justice, um, which I, much of which I'll probably agree with. Uh, I hope that he will seek to tamp down violence Violence is never the answer. Uh, but beyond that, I'm not going to suggest uh, what he might do. He's a man of, uh, of enormous uh, oratorical talent, uh, and I'm sure he'll do a good job. But his message will be, uh, the undercurrent of his message will be a criticism of uh, President Trump. I think you can pretty much guarantee that. You know, we used to have a tradition in this country that that former presidents just did not criticize current presidents. Before he took any action in in Cuba, Jack Kennedy called Dwight Eisenhower to ask his opinion, for example. Uh, And presidents have often consulted with their predecessors. They don't have to, but there was a certain comity. Yesterday I saw George W. Bush uh, put out, I guess it was a letter criticizing Donald Trump. This isn't surprising, George W. You and your entire family who plundered the United States government voted and endorsed
1: Hillary Clinton. So why should we listen to you about anything? It's, I mean, you gotta also realize that the, the opposite could be when he was asked, President Trump was asked, have you called Barack Obama to ask advice on anything? He says, No, I don't need to. I don't, I'm I'm fine with what I'm doing. So even President Trump didn't want to make that phone call to Trump. So some may say, Roger, I understand the point you're making with John F. Kennedy calling Ike, but at least even Trump is not calling Obama. Well, but uh, but Ike hadn't authorized the illegal surveillance of John Kennedy. Then that's a different story. Yeah. So, you know, uh, 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 going back to uh, what you're talking about here, it, when it comes down to the politics side, you know, and people are going to this politics side, one of the things I'm always curious about when I look from the outside is who are the power players? You know, the whole puppet with some people are controlling it. Is it, is it candidates that are the most powerful people? Is it the money backers? Is it the lobbyists? Is it the media? Is it former presidents? Roger, you've been in this game for a long time. Who are the most powerful people that get to control a lot of the decisions that are being made in politics? Well, there's no question
0: about the extraordinary power of the media. Uh, that power continuum shifted in 2016. It's only through the rise of a robust, vibrant alternative media based in the internet that Donald Trump is able to communicate around the national networks and around the established corporate owned media directly to the people and get elected. That's why you see this systematic campaign of censorship uh, on all media platforms, social media platforms of Republicans and conservatives and libertarians and Christians and anyone really who isn't a liberal. Uh, it's a violation of the antitrust laws. The lawsuits that have been brought against Twitter and Facebook on First Amendment grounds have not fared well in the courts. But there are solid antitrust issues here. And all Attorney General Barr needs to do is initiate immediate antitrust action against Twitter and tell them, I'm sending marshals to shut your operation down unless you stop. He has that authority. It needs to be used. Does he really have that authority? Uh, they're clearly violation, violating antitrust law. They have a monopoly, and they're protecting their monopoly. Who has a monopoly? The tactics that, the tactic that they have used to, to disadvantage competitors, like, say, Gab or Parler or Telegram, are easily findable. I sat in the room for the hearings of the House Committee, Judiciary Committee on Internet Censorship. And I watched um, the the chairman of Google lie to Congress repeatedly under oath. Ironically, the charge that I'm the crime that I'm charged with. China, he said, I couldn't even find China on a map. I'm not doing any business in China. Uh, uh, no, our, our our phone app doesn't trace people. These are lies. Why wasn't he charged? Uh, this is a game. Uh, the censorship of 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 non-Trump supporters is a major issue in 2020. You now see them finally, and I predicted this, beginning to censor uh, or comment on the president's tweets. Relying on the Washington Post to say that there is no ballot fraud in a, mail, in, in a mail-in a election, that's like asking Jack the Ripper to massage your neck. It's ridiculous. It's, it's a joke. Let's be clear. Virtually nothing reported by the Washington Post is either true or accurate. This one reporter, uh, Roz Helderman, is one of the great fiction writers of all time. Uh, So nothing written by that newspaper can be relied upon. Uh, It's not a news organization, it's a propaganda organ. There's no evidence that outside elements are ginning up these riots. Uh, I'm not quoting their headline exactly, but I think it's pretty close. No, that's wrong. That's false. That's not true. That's not news. That's crap. Uh,
1: uh, Roger, when it comes down to Dennis Prager, are you familiar with Dennis Prager of uh, Prager University? Yes. So, you know, the whole topic about censorship and YouTube and what's taking place and videos being taken down. Uh, I was speaking to them about the fact that, you know, what really happened. And I pulled up the, law, uh, the lawsuit and I read the whole thing, where eventually it was dismissed and they didn't really consider it because. There's a difference between freedom of speech by the government versus freedom of speech of what you can say on a company, private enterprise, they can choose to take whatever they want to take down or whatever they don't want to take down. So if that's the case, can YouTube do or Twitter do or Facebook do anything they want to do? Because Zuck took a different approach where Zuck said, I don't think if Facebook is not in the fact checking business, he said this last week on Fox if you saw that. So what is your opinion on censorship on what YouTube can and can't do? um the phone company is a privately owned company but they're regulated
0: i mean if you're serving the public i think you could be regulated as a conservative i don't like regulation generally speaking but if that's the only way we can ensure fair access i believe caveat emptor let the consumer decide what he or she believes or what he or she wants to read i got a message from a guy this morning who simply put up a meme on Instagram, they said, "Pardon, Roger Stone," and he was deplatformed like that. I've I've been on Facebook for a long time. My Facebook page for Stone Cold Truth, which is my website where I post political opinion, has 165 or 150 thousand followers. During the election, if I posted something I wrote, it would get 600, 700, a thousand uh, reach. Uh, you know shares uh it would get literally thousands of readings now i get three four seven do you really think we're that stupid i mean these things are being manipulated at the back end through shadow banning and so on uh, has to be stopped
1: um, i got two everybody things everybody
0: should have fair uh access to the to the internet i don't care if you're a socialist or a or or a progressive or a vegetarian it doesn't matter to me let the people decide what they want to read and what they want to believe.
1: By the way, it's so interesting listening to you and seeing how similar of a style of communication you and uh, President Trump have on, on how you guys speak. If I can put him over here and watch you, it's, it's such similarities. By the way, Stone's Rules. Let's wrap this up. We'll, we'll do a speed run and we'll be done with this uh, interview here. So Stone's Rules, I'll go through 10 of them, and you tell me out of these 10, uh, uh, uh which of them are by far your favorite and most important one number one? It is it's better to be, to be very hard Go ahead. It's gonna be very hard I'm curious to know what you're gonna say it is better to be infamous than not to be famous at all That's rule number one number two past is prologue prologue Okay now you add an adjective to it, but past is prologue number three attack 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 never defend number four business is business Number five, only thing worse in politics than being wrong is being boring. You talked about it earlier. Number six, reinvent yourself. Number seven, nothing is on the level. Number eight, think big, be big. Number nine, hate is more powerful, motivator than love. And number 10, to win, you must do everything. Which one do you think is the most important one? Well, first of all,
0: it's important to understand that most of those are written within the context of a political campaign. Now, some of them are transferable to life overall, uh, but, they're, but they're all important in their own way. Uh, I could not really pick one rule over another because they're interconnected. They all work together. My book, Stone's Rules, was not written for conservatives or Republicans or Christians. It was written for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're in entertainment or tech or agriculture uh, or, or, or on Wall Street. This is a book that I think can benefit everybody. These are the simple lessons that I have learned as a warrior uh, with 40 years in the arena. Uh, And I think they work for everybody, men and women. Now there's some style tips in there for men that won't work for women. But beyond that, these are just rules of the road. It's like a a handbook. Um, I commend it to anybody who wants to succeed. How do I get through my current ordeal and my struggle with uh, out of control federal prosecutors? by following the rules in this book, uh, which is uh, probably the second greatest book ever written,
1: after the Bible. Love your humility. It's, it's a very, uh, the big strength of yours, very obvious. By yeah. the way, how many, of those rules apply, how many of those rules apply to business? How many of those apply to? A lot, a lot of them, I think, apply yeah. to business. Um, you know, it tells
0: you how to, how to budget uh, an internet media campaign is in there. There's a lot of practical advice in there as well as philosophical advice by the way this is not the best book I've written that was a joke
1: you know one thing I I wonder about you is you've come up and it's attack 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 never defend you know it's a very cutthroat super competitive you were not worried about stepping on anybody as long as you want do you think right now looking back I've sat with Ditka and I wonder how Ditka processed with when he was coming up you know Ditka doing his interviews uh, from the Bears as a uh, you know, coach, he would just call everybody out and he challenged people and it's pretty strong opinions. And even with the last dance documentary with Michael, you're seeing how he was and how he pushed his people, challenged people, pissed a lot of people off. On your way up in politics, you've created a lot of enemies, many of them, many, many enemies. You because somebody wins and somebody loses
0: that's the way politics works
1: yeah but you're cutthroat meaning you had no sympathy for beating everybody i mean you're hyper no,
0: no i i think
1: that's unfair here's what i'm trying to say when i
0: say attack attack in any campaign the candidate who dominates the dialogue from the beginning to the end will win you have to force the other person to talk about what you want to talk about if you end up talking about what they want to talk about you will lose so by being aggressive by going on the attack by by delineating the agenda and what the campaign is going to be about you will win that means you have to draw first blood you have to lay down the predicate for any campaign a campaign on defense is losing votes a campaign that is explaining is losing votes a campaign that has no forward motion is losing votes Politics is motion. That's one of the rules in the book. You have to create the perception that your campaign is gaining steam, that you are moving forward, that you are attracting supporters. Perception is reality. It's your job to create that perception, and you create it, create it by taking the initiative. That is what I'm trying to say in that rule. Yeah, when you outsmart the other guys, you make enemies. Tom Kane was the governor of New Jersey. He's a great man. He ran in a primary with nine opponents. And some of them were very substantial, established politicians with long records of distinguished public service. And he was a former leader of the state house. He won, they lost. I had one friend and eight enemies.
1: It's the way it is. So you don't think that's the reason why you have a lot of people right now that are wanting to take you down. You don't think because you've created so many different enemies that have teamed up together to say, it, now it's our turn. Let's let's get even with uh, Roger. Well, I'm, I'm certainly that there are some who have revenge as a motive. Look, I wrote a book, The Bush Crime Family,
0: and I wrote a book, The Clintons' War on Women. I'm an equal opportunity truth teller, uh, and uh, I'll say things that aren't popular. You know, Jeffrey Epstein's been in the news a great deal over the last year. If you go to my book, The Clinton's War on Women, the longest chapter is on Jeffrey Epstein and every single thing you have learned in the last year was written back in 2016. Bill's 28 trips on the Lolita Express, Bill's 17, I think is the right number visits to Epstein's Pedophile Island. Uh, The fact that George Mitchell and Bill Richardson and others uh, were enjoying uh, uh, the company of underage children. It's all in my book. But the mainstream media didn't cover my book. So now that it was uh, that it, it was covered, really because the courageous reporting of a uh, of an investigative reporter with the Miami Herald, a woman named Brown, who did an amazing job of doggedly staying on this case because she knew something wasn't right. Now
1: everybody knows, but back then nobody knew. It's all have in my you, book. Have you watched the docu series of Jeffrey Epstein or no? You haven't gone through I have it. Not. Okay, so let's do speed round. Uh, uh, Roger, I'll give you a name. Tell me one word that comes to your mind. One word that comes to your mind. Uh, John Davis Lodge, the smarter of the two Lodge brothers. He was Henry Cabot Lodge's
0: brother. One of my mentors. President actor, Trump. actor, diplomat, congressman,
1: governor. Very President, successful actor. President Trump. Courageous, ballsy. Hillary Clinton. Criminal. Joe Biden. Racist. Scary Moochie.
0: Nice guy. Kushner. I saw him wearing a suit. I said, hey, Mooch, that's a great looking suit. What does it cost in a man's size? Kushner. Uh, I like what he's done on criminal justice. I think he's done a great job.
1: Robert Mueller.
0: Uh, befuddled. Not all there. Cover up artist for the deep state. Uh, anthrax, 9-11, it's all there. Michael Flynn. Uh, a great American patriot, the only guy in America that I can think of who's been screwed worse than I have.
1: James Comey.
0: Uh, epically corrupt, pompous, uh, and I wonder why he hasn't been charged and I have. Giuliani. Uh, the greatest mayor New York City ever had, a straight shooter uh, and a friend.
1: Lewandowski.
0: Uh, I'm softening on this. Uh, you know, he and I were pretty bitter enemies. We have a different approach, but I like the fact that he has the courage to defend the president uh, at all places.
1: Machiavelli. Uh,
0: uh, I've read his book many times, and if you read Stone's Rules, a number of my rules are uh, with acknowledgement based on his. Uh, Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort is uh, complicated. um, A strategic genius when it comes to convention politics. I don't recommend his business practices. Richard Nixon. Uh, resilient, persistent, uh, the greatest comeback in American history. Charles
1: Black. Uh, a savvy Washington operator. Jim Messina. I'm Jim sure Messina. You don't know that name I'm campaign? Sure who that campaign. is. Ross Perot. A trailblazer. People forget the
0: fact that he actually led both Bush and Gore for some period of time. Uh, in that election, proving that if you had enough money, uh, a third-party candidate uh, could win. An early precursor to Trump in the sense that a businessman running for president, first time that's ever gotten any real traction. I know these aren't one-word answers, but it's tough. All good. Mark Cuban. Uh, I like him. He's audacious. Uh, He's a businessman like Trump. I never quite understand where he stands because sometimes he's pro-Trump, sometimes he's critical, but he's always interesting. I like, I like watching him. George Soros. Evil, the personification of evil. Eliot Spitzer. Um, a, a hypocrite, a man who was prosecuting uh, guys for seeing prostitutes while he himself was seeing prostitutes. Andrew Cuomo. Uh, tough, uh, Nixonian in many ways, unforgiving, politically talented, Kind of ruthless. Has a shot for presidency? Uh, it, it's very hard to say. I mean, because they've delayed some of these late primaries, it's not inconceivable that Biden could get to the convention with not enough votes to go over the top on the first ballot. If Biden were to fall short on the first ballot, he won't be the nominee. Somebody else will. 2024, though, does he have a shot in 2024, Cuomo? Uh, probably. He's got to get reelected governor. The. The history on that is not good. People who've gone for, a, you know, the fourth term in New York have not politically, historically, fared well in the past.
1: Nancy Pelosi,
0: um, frozen face. What's wrong with her face? Roy Cohen, uh, complicated, vicious, uh, uh, sentimental, extraordinarily loyal, uh, uh, photographic memory, tough as nails.
1: And last but not least, Roger Stone, one word. A guy who always did his best uh, and a fighter who will never quit. How ugly are these, uh, this year's uh, campaign gonna be, this presidential campaign this year? How how ugly will it get?
0: Um, It'll it'll be very ugly, but there has to be a context. When Lincoln ran, they had handbills posted that said that he had fathered a black child and they handed them out. Today we use the internet and television but it's just as vicious. Politics in America is a contact sport. It always has been, it always will be. So I don't expect it to be any more vicious than the one four years ago and the one four years before that and the one four years before that on through our history. The only thing that's changed is our technological capability
1: to deliver the message. Just change the game. Social media is a completely changing game. Roger, uh, we're gonna put the links to all your books below. And I'm going to put the link to the GoFundMe website you were talking about as well. We'll put that link below as well. Thank you so much for uh, uh, coming and visiting us on Valuetainment and being a guest. I'm glad to be here. And thanks to my
0: friend, Josh Feuerstein for putting us together. This has been a great opportunity because, as I say, I have a lot to say.